Hello and welcome to the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Collis. And today we're going to take a look at the offspring who are performing live in Cardiff today. So before we get started, let's uh, take a quick look at the background. So The Offspring is an American rock band from Garden Grove, California, formed in 1984. Originally formed under the name Manic Subsidal, the band's lineup consists of, of lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist Brian Dexter Holland, bassist Todd Morse and lead guitarist Kevin Needles Wazerman. Over the course of their 37-year career, they have released 10 studio albums and experienced multiple lineup changes, most notably with their drummers. The longest serving drummer was Ron Welty, who replaced original drummer James Leela in 1987 and stayed with the band for 16 years. He was replaced by Adam Willard in 2003 and then four years later by former drummer Pete Parada. Gregory, Greg K. Creasel, one of the co-founders of The Offspring, was their bassist until 2018 when he parted ways due to business disputes with the band, leaving Holland as the sole remaining original member. Kessel was replaced by Todd Morse of H2O, who had been The Offspring's touring guitarist until 2009. The Offspring is often credited alongside fellow California punk bands Green Day and Rancid for reviving mainstream interest in punk rock in the 1990s. They have sold over 40 million records worldwide, making them one of the best-selling punk rock bands in history. After achieving a local following with their early releases, including their 1989 self-titled album, and the vinyl-only EP Baghdad in 1991. The Offspring signed with Epitar Records, Smash, which contained the band's first major hit, Come Out and Play, propelled punk rock into the mainstream and holds the distinction of one of the best-selling albums released on an independent record label, selling over 11 million copies worldwide. The success of Smash attracted attention from major labels, including Columbia Records, with whom The Offspring signed in 1996. Their first album for the label Ixnate on the Hombre in 1997 did not match the success of its predecessor but received critical acclaim and gold and platinum awards. The band's fifth album, Americana, in 1998 regained their previous level of popularity obtaining support from MTV and radio and selling over 5 million units in the US. The Offspring has since released five more albums, Conspiracy of One in 2000, Splinter in 2003, Rise and Fall, Rage and Grace in 2008, Days Go By in 2012 and Let the Bad Times Roll in 2021. So let's see how it's going down in the Motor Point Arena. We'll be back after this. If you're a band member or an artist, dancer, singer, actor, street performer, and you're listening to this and you'd like to talk to us on our show about your uh, latest gig or your album release on uh, digital media or even uh, want to talk to us about a student show how about dropping us an email on musterxmedia1983 at gmail.com and we'll get you on our show because of the temperature outside uh, the motor point arena i've come straight inside i'm not hanging around but then again, I can also tell you safely that there is no me- there's no mega fans outside hanging around because it is quite cold out there. We are at the start of winter after all. Um, there are six trucks for this show and five tour buses, so not too big. There, are, you know, there are, have been bigger shows, but this is a reasonably sized show. I would consider this a small to medium sized show. Inside the arena, when I arrived here at noon, the uh, show had pretty much been uh, rigged up, ready to go. All the trusses were in the air, 
and even the set trusses they're all standing up ready to go video was standing up ready to go and the last thing that was going in was the uh, PA stacks so let's take a look at that stage left and stage right we have two sets of line arrays we've got the two uh, facing out stage left and stage right and then we've got the uh, set stage left and stage right which are 45 degrees out towards the audience giving the surround sound effect the subs you got eight subs on the floor in front of the stage and you've got you got two line array subs stage left and stage right well I'd say stage left and stage right you've got one downstage left and one downstage right hung in the air so plenty of bass going it's going to sound amazing I think it really will what the offspring have done is decided to keep it old school so they're not going through uh, shit loads of impressive super impressive lighting designs which will look amazing but no they've gone old school they've got LED pars because you wouldn't you wouldn't get away with having standard par cans these days because it can only be one color even if you put scrollers on they're old loud and clunky whereas the LED pars that they've got they're really powerful they could be any color and they can give us some nice sick effects but keeping it basic they've got a semicircle truss at the back of the stage with a screen in the middle and it's lined with LED pars pointing outwards although they can actually move up and down left and right because they're all moving heads so that looked nice and they've also got two smaller semicircle trusses stage left and stage right um, end on so you're as you're looking at the stage there you only see the thin uh, the thin side of these semicircles and yet again they're all full of lights pointing outwards and across the stage so you get some nice arced side lighting it's going to look amazing it really will and all of this was up in the air as I said before I even turned up so they've kept it pretty simple pretty straightforward because the offspring when they're performing live it's all about the music that's what they want to do they want to just get the music right and that yeah you, know, you, you can admire that you don't need to have all this cosmetic looks that modern bands have yeah it looks great but at the end of the day the the offspring know that people are going to turn up to listen to them play and not for their visuals it works it bloody works their stage is a lot deeper than a lot than other stages and that's because they've got two support bands and they're putting them on in front of each other so it's easier to clear each layer of bands away on the changeovers that's the only reason why they've done it so eventually when both supports are finished the offspring will have the whole stage works that way as with all bands of this caliber it's a standing show there's no seats there's no point because people be uh, wanting to mosh and circle pit so they also got the mojo in and you can't go wrong with mojo on a show like this if it's rigged up properly and manned correctly then people go over and uh, get escorted out the way it should be because if there's a crush the security staff in the pit are trained to notice people getting uh, crushed so they pull them out and relieve the pressure and so far this tour I've been told that it's been hit and miss you've either got a, uh, you've got, either got a very busy pit or it's a very quiet pit so we'll see how it goes for tonight I am really looking forward to this now the offspring are only going to be performing for 70 minutes seven zero minutes not sure why that is but that's why they've got two support bands to help uh, fill the show 
But at the end of the day, they're going to play all their favourite hits and that's what it's all about. The songs that people want to hear and maybe one or two of the new ones. So we're, what we're going to do now, we're going to check out the support bands and we'll be back after this. Warning, this podcast contains strong, offensive and misogynistic language that some listeners may find offensive. The name's Vert, Percival Reginald Vert, and I run the P-Vert Detective Agency. The year is 2055 and the police have been defunded, so if you need a police investigation, the cops will charge you a thousand big ones a day. Because of this, the government introduced the PI Act, where the private investigators can undercut the police so justice can become affordable. These are my case files. And we're back. So we're going to take a look at the first support act, which is Bob Violin. And I couldn't find much. So I've got an article up from uh, loudersound.com. And it's saying, meet the grime punk duo the music industry didn't want you to hear. UK grime punk duo Bob Violin's new album, We Live Here, was judged too extreme for major label release as it lifts the lid on the ugliest side of Britain. Whenever you ask Bobby Violin an important question, he pauses before carefully articulating his answer. A man brought up on the words of Ackler, the movies of Spike Lee and stories of large diverse communities. He understands the weight of his words and wants to make them impactful. Bobby fronts UK punk grime duo Bob Violin and has written an album so honest and extreme the industry didn't want to touch it. Full of fury and animosity, Bob Violin's debut album, We Live Here, combines the traditions of punk with the modern voice of British grime. In the spirit of both genres, it, it doesn't hold back with its messaging. The album forces some of the UK's uglier realities into, harsh, into a harsh spotlight, including police brutality, the racism both institutional and personal faced by Britain's communities of colour and government's poor treatment of working classes. Sharing its scope and ambition with the lights of Grey Britain by Gallows and with the works of Let Live, it's a landmark record that tears down the country that birthed it and prompts essential discussion around the fact that for plenty of its inhabitants, Great Britain isn't so great at all. We Live Here is primarily available through Bandcamp and, re- and record shops or via mediums that encourage adequate payment and thus, it could be argued, place more value on the subject matter that becomes more important when the subject matter is so bitterly personal. These are the stories in my life, whether it's present or once upon a time, or other people's lives that I grew up with or see, says Violin. It's feelings I have and the people around me have. But we live here isn't just angry or confrontational or loud, it's brilliant. It's thanks to the record's quality that Bob Violin have swiftly amassed a dedicated and enthusiastic fan base. The people that picked up on it, they just, they didn't just pick up on it, they ran with it, says Violin. They shed and blasted it. The organic reach of it has and continued to blow my mind. The record is the product of and written for vibrant and diverse communities. It quickly found its people. Rough Trade made it the album of the month and the duo are hopeful for a Mercury Prize win next year, despite the lack of interest typically shown to heavy music by the panel. Bobby knows his record is good enough to win. One of the standout moments of We Live Here is Pulled Pork, a song that sees Bobby as his most depraved with the help of Fever 333 frontman Jason Aylan Butler, 
a violence-inducing rallying call egged on by the antagonistic Rage Against the Machine-style rifting. The song digs into police brutality and the UK's denial of it. If you deny any, if you deny a problem, you don't have a problem. It doesn't exist, says Violent. But to admit there's an issue of racism running rampant throughout the country, the housing sector, the employment sector, the police force, of course, is a problem if you if you admit that. We Live Here's mission is to bring you face to face with the uncomfortable realities underpinning the experience of people of colour in the UK. Bob Violent makes it clear that denial is not an opinion anymore. An album born out of the impact of racism, We Live Here makes its point most directly on its final track, a minute of silence before a sweet voice of Violin's daughter begins. It's going to be a heavy listen, so I wanted that last track to be a moment where people can reflect on what they've heard, he says. We don't really do that a lot with music, but when you go to the cinema, you, ha- you, watch, the fil- you watch the film and when you're walking out, you're talking about it. It's made to be listened to front and back. I don't want people to hear it, then think about it. This finale exposes the heartbreaking reality that everything you've just heard from Bob Violent is set to be repeated for generations to come. For Bobby's daughter, it's not a case of if, but when she is first exposed to racism. My voice has been corrupted by all the things that I've seen, all the things that I've done, and the lives that I've lived, says Violent. Where is that voice on there? My daughter's voice is innocence. You heard this growing harsh angry voice, now listen to this soft angel and ask yourself, what can I do? What can I do because there's enough kids out there who are going to have to grow up in the rubble of everything we've destroyed and everything that generations ahead of us have destroyed. Punk and grime are both created by the furious underrepresented children of rubble, of that rubble. The genres allowed for people without money or formal training to use their voice. All, years, all these years later, they still stand for self-expression and inclusivity with artists like Bob Violent acting like beacons for people in the need of a community. We Live Here makes the state of the world clear and draws in its people to get it to work better on. We Live Here is available now via Bandcamp. Now that sounds interesting, I'm looking forward to hearing something different like this and hopefully at some point we'll get some reviews of their tracks on my X review channel so the link for that is in the description below, please check it out. So, we're going to take a look at The Hive. The Hives are a Swedish rock band that rose to prominence in the early 2000s during the Garage Rock revival. Their mainstream success came with the release of the album Veni Vidi Vicious containing the single Hate to Say I Told You So. The band has been acclaimed by music critics as one of the best live rock bands. The Hives have released five studio albums, barely legal in 1997, Ben Vidi Vicious in 2000, Tyrannosaurus Hives in 2004, the Black and White album in 2007, and Lex Hives in 2012. They have one compilation album, Your New Favourite Band in 2001, and they have issued a live DVD, Trussels in Brussels in 2005. The Hives completed recording vocals and guitar in late November 2006 for a song called Right On Me, a collaboration with hip-hop producer Timberland. The song was included in his album, Timberland Presents Shock Value, released on 3rd of April in 2007. They also performed in a music video for the track. The Hives have also recently spoken on a, of a collaboration with Jack White's The Recruiters on a song for their new album originally entitled Footsteps. However, it was later revealed that Howlin' Pelly. Howlin' Pelly also did a collaboration with Swedish rock artist Money Brother, a cover of an Operation Ivy song, Free, uh, Freeze Up. They used Swedish lyrics and called it Jag Skriver Interpernat. I'm sorry if I butchered Swedish, but 
I can't speak it, which translates as I won't sign anything. The band members contributed to Time for Some Action and Windows on NERD's Seeing Sounds album, Pele Almcrevist, providing guest vocals on Time for Some Action. On Seeing Sounds, they are credited with their real names instead of the pseudonyms that they use within the band. From 2008, the band recorded a Christmas duet entitled A Christmas Duel with Cindy Lowell which was available as a free download from their website on the 28th of November in 2008. In a November 2008 interview with leading Swedish newspaper Dagens Nyheter, Swedish rapper Peter announced that the Hives were working on a new version of his track Represkaven for his upcoming album. All songwriting except covers on the band's albums are credited to Randy Fitzsimmons. The band claimed Fitzsimmons is an honorary Sip Hive who along with writing their music discovered and manages the band. The band has included hidden references to the sixth member in the band, including a hidden sixth pair of legs on the back cover of, of Tyrannosaurus Hive's album art. Randy Fitzsimmons is a registered pseudonym for Nikilus Almcrevist. The Hive's live show had been highly rated, with Spin Magazine rating them 8th best in rock music. Pele is known for his colourful idiocracy. When asked about their efforts to connect with the audience, Chris Dangerous replied that there are so many bands out there that they don't say a word to the crowd. I don't get it. I don't even look at the audience, and that's ridiculous. The Hive's always dressed in matching black and white tuxedos because it makes them look like they belong together. Right, so now we've heard the uh, bands, we're going to take a look at the show as soon as it, as soon as it opens up. So we'll be back after this. This podcast contains themes that are unsuitable for younger listeners and parental guidance is advised. It's been 30 years since they came. 30 years? No! They took my child! 30 years? No! It's been 30 years since they came. So, looking at the show, I noticed I made a mistake. And that mistake was, I called the band Bob Violin. It's actually Bob Villain, just how it's spelled. So, my apologies for that from early on. But when I watched that, I noticed uh, that... Unfortunately, when they came on, he had microphone issues and for whatever reason, the microphone just wasn't working properly. If it was a frequency error or battery or even just a uh, rubbish mic, that was the issue. But it was resolved uh, very quickly. They uh, brought on a spare microphone and it started to work. And then after the first song, which was an instrumental, I'm not sure if that was about the microphone or not, but then the second song, that's when it became more apparent that the microphone was not working, as he was pointing the microphone towards the uh, style, uh, towards sound two. And if you don't know what sound two is, sound two is the monitor sound guys, uh, and also the babysitter of the microphones on stage. So they're always uh, stage left, and you've got sound one, which is the main mixer, in the auditorium mixing, being dead centre so you could hear everything. But anyways, I digress. As soon as Bob Villain's microphone was working, the first thing he said to the crowd was, Hi everybody, how are you doing? Kill the Queen. I, I, would, I won't say what he actually said, because uh, I'm trying not to swear on my podcast. 
well on this particular podcast but he said kill that f-wording queen and that went down like a lead balloon i have to say um unfortunately in this land of free speech sometimes you might just not want to say certain things because unfortunately for bob villain he had a hard battle for the rest of the show because a lot of people just weren't happy with uh, him saying about killing the queen and then as soon as uh, he didn't get the reaction he wanted he turned around and said well she killed diana well everyone has their uh, right to free speech he has his uh, he has his opinion that's fair enough if that's his opinion about it then i i get that i understand that and that and he's entitled to it but what i'm saying is um try and read the room mr villain please try and read the room i know that it's not your uh, thing about being polite and uh, it's definitely not your thing about being discreet but sometimes if you're going to win a crowd over read the room yeah it's not exactly uh, hard yes we understand you don't like the queen because of what she stands for in your eyes i get that read the room so all you have to do is read the room for that exact same reason Bob Villain had a massive battle on his hands to try and win the crowd back and it took near enough his entire set for him to do this. Now I'm not going to slate him for his vocal abilities, uh, he rapped really good, I mean he had a message to say and he said it and he said it very clearly so people could actually understand him. He wasn't a mumble rapper, he was a very clear rapper and even though I don't agree with uh, some of his uh, lyrics and I don't agree with his perspective on things in certain in certain things but he has every right to say it and make you know and uh, push his uh, word which which in normal circumstances would have worked it would have gone down very uh, very well especially with some of the people with the Cardiff area but and a bit and I say but it goes back to my previous comment he didn't read the room and it was falling on deaf ears because he had annoyed a lot of people by saying let's kill the queen anyways he had also had a bit of patter where he was talking about the show two days ago in hull where over 300 police officers turned up because for some reason the police don't kind of like his um, work and that is because he uh, raps about how he hates the police so apparently, I don't know how true this is, it's just what he was saying. Maybe he's bigging himself up, maybe it was an exaggeration. But I do think that the police did turn up to do a bit of intimidation outside and inside the arena. But, you know, at the end of the day, some of it may be hype, some of it may be real. I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Musically, they were good. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it was just a drummer and a rapper and a bit of click track but the drama was really talented on the drums he, was, he could play god damn he could play and uh, the lead vocalist he could rap and he could do and he was very how could i put it he was very audible you could hear him and you could hear the clarity of what he was saying as i said earlier on he wasn't a mumble rapper could he could this uh, set have gone down well well, I think by the end of it, he managed to win some of the crowd back. And by the end of his set, it was only 42% uh, full. 
So he didn't get the applause that he could have got from uh, that audience at that point in time. But that's what you get for uh, saying kill the queen. I'm sorry, but just how it goes. You may not be a royalist, but to turn around and kill an old lady, even if you don't recognise her as being the queen, or you feel that she that there shouldn't be a queen, you don't want to go and kill some old lady that served the country for a long time. But again, but then again, I'm a royalist, so I have a bias on that. I'm sorry, but I do. But after winning the crowd back, uh, which was really difficult for him, I have to say. I mean. He did well to, to slowly win the crowd back in his favour but I think it was a little bit on deaf ears and a bit too late. But maybe at some point he'll uh, learn from this and hopefully in the next gig if he doesn't say kill the Queen he might actually have the crowd join him a bit more. Fingers crossed because I think he's got a lot of potential especially as he's uh, just starting to rise to prominence and uh, doing it independently and not on a record label. Now I can actually see why the record labels don't want to touch him but then again in this day and age do you really need a record label? All you need is a good online following and, uh, and you'll start taking off. From the start of their set the Hives did really goddamn well. They won the crowd straight away which was a massive contrast to uh, Bob Villain massive contrast to Bob Dylan. Uh, they come out and the crowd just lapped them up as they come out. Pure showmanship, I mean pure showmanship. Now I thought it was a very bold move, a very bold move to have all the lights on them, all the lights on them in open white. No other colours other than white. It was a big bold move and it went down really well. I mean they just wanted to be seen and at the end of the day, they were nipping around the whole stage. They did really well, actually. Not only were they holding the crowd from the moment they come out, but they had that crowd moshing, they had that crowd dancing, and they had that crowd cheering all the way from the beginning and all the way throughout. They did really well, I mean, really well. They definitely had the audience's attention, and, and at the point that they uh, come on, it was only 75% uh, full, so they did pretty well actually, considering the attendance of the audience. Now another bold move that the uh, lead singer did, and he had his microphone on an XLR cable, the longest XLR cable I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and now, why did he do that? Well, he loved to swing his microphone around, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Every uh, couple of shows, that microphone cable gets completely abused, so it ends up getting resoldered to make sure that it's connected all the time. They probably have two or three set different cables, so uh, so no one cable gets completely abused. Well, after all, swinging a microphone looks flashy, but it damages the connectors. Something chronic, and uh, yeah, although it does look fucking cool, I have to say. But noise boys, they just never agree with that. They they can't. They just despise it. Anyways, I digress. But with the uh, microphone on this long cable, and with the singer going all over, left, right, centre, up on microphones, down into the pit, and even at one point into the audience, he jumped the uh, he jumps the uh, mojo barrier and ran into the audience. Now, normally. 
people on a corded mic, they kind of stay rooted to the same area, which, which is all well and fine, it's all good, that's what you normally do. But when you're zipping around the place, you need two ninjas on stage. And when I say two ninjas, two sound crew, completely covered in black, you can only see their eyes, face completely covered up in black hair, drape, hats, completely black clothing and just running on and off stage every time uh, they can see the cable getting knotted up bam straight onto that stage uncoiling it and at one point just quickly unpatching the microphone and putting in the replacement cable uh, in between songs because it got knotted that bad so you could just take that big old cable off uncoil it during the next uh, couple of songs and have that cable on standby ready to go it was funny it was brilliant and that made a lot of the show i have to say watching these stage ninjas just jumping up doing what they need to do making sure that the lead singer's got maximum movement it was amazing to watch and i lost count how many times i see this happen so throughout the whole show they were just amazing all the way through they held the crowd and they just didn't hold back they were full of energy they just fueled the uh, crowd with their own energy and fed off that returning signal they're just amazing they are beasts on stage and beasts in a good way they just filled the place of energy and had that place banging ready to go wow what a group of showmen it's amazing to watch absolutely amazing and a very great contrast to bob villain and we're back so just want to talk about the uh, main part of the show now which was the offspring and they were amazing from start through to finish the show started off with some images flashing up on the screen with police lights and I said when I say police lights obviously they're not the old school fuzz lights they were the LED strobes that strobing right between uh, red and blue and it looked amazing very punchy very bright you know very eye well as though you're by a modern police car with the real bright, eye-wateringly bright police lights. So lots of fuzz lights on that. It looks good. Stunning though, very stunning on the eyes. As I said earlier on in the podcast with the setup, it was basic, but basic in a good way. You know, they spent the money. They definitely spent the money on the on the LED fixtures that they've got and. It does show, it really does show that. And, but they didn't need to, they, di they didn't go for the effect of, um, let's throw money at it, let's have a shit ton of uh, AV, let's have some real great, weird and expensive AD screens. No, none of that. They just had a uh, semicircle, which I like to call a Stargate. You know what I mean, a big semicircle out of truss lights and a screen behind that a stargate although other people say no no it's just a truss circle no no it looks like a stargate if you don't know what a stargate is i suggest you google it anyways i digress they had two the two semicircles of trusses on the stage left and stage right and it all looked amazing when it all worked together S simple and effective you know they had enough uh, cover they had face cover they were lit from behind and all, and also they had enough uh, of these LED uh, units to make a great impact on the show. 
the second song they had in the show which is my favorite song from the offspring and that is come out and play and i've never heard this song done live i've never seen the offspring live to be honest uh the odd clip here or there but no my favorite song played live second song in from the smash album and it was brilliant it was played very well and i enjoyed every single moment of it i mean totally enjoyed every single moment of it it reminded me of being uh, 15 again i say 15 it was more like 14. yeah i was 14 when smash come out played with absolute passion and enjoyment you could tell that the band enjoyed playing that song and that song's old i mean real really old i felt that holland did really well considering his age and now uh, you'll be like you, you might be thinking what are you on about with their age well holland is what 56 57 so and uh, he started off when he was 16 the band was formed in 1984 so uh, I'm one year older than the band with uh, Holland singing in falsetto all the time throughout his entire career as as being the frontman of the offspring singing in falsetto is hard work it's hard work when you're younger and you haven't injured your voice whereas Holland is getting on a bit and his falsetto is still great, it's still pretty strong. But with age, he can't maintain the falsetto for the whole show. It's a fact of life. As you get older, you, you don't, you're not able to control your voice or be as powerful in your voice like that when you're singing in falsetto. It just doesn't happen. And I did feel for him on that one. But he managed to save the falsetto for the songs that really re required it. I mean, he really did and he did really well on there but you could tell how the falsetto was wavering here and there and he was losing power in his voice but you know when you're singing falsetto for 70 minutes straight what can you do you know he needs breaks even before even if you take even if you take age as a factor out of it if you're singing if you're singing falsetto for an entire set live then it's going to strain your voice and being on tour he needs to preserve his voice. You could tell at the points where he took the executive decision not to push his voice that hard. And, you know, that's just part and partial of live performance. Especially when you especially when you vote when your vocal ability is a specific way, such as falsetto singing. But on general, I love this show. I it just brought me back to my youth and all the audience were my age. They were in my age range so they were great i mean everyone enjoyed it and you even had younger people so you had people my age with their kids in the audience and yeah you know, it worked really well unfortunately it wasn't as full as it should have been all the tickets were sold but there was only an 89 percent attendance which to be fair this show has been rescheduled a few times because of the pandemic and people's availability yet to come and see the show that they've paid for it's just you know they just lose their ability to uh, turn up to do the show because you can't keep rebooking time off of work that's just how it goes and i've noticed this a lot since entertainment reopened in the uk people who had prepaid for their tickets before the pandemic just aren't able to turn up or with the older lot they might be uh, a little bit wary about returning into big crowded areas. Though that's the two factors of why you're not getting 
a full 100% attendance even though all the tickets are sold. The encore was Pretty Fly for a White Guy and Self Esteem. Two amazing jobs. Pretty Fly was uh, off the Americana album and that was a fun song from back in the day. Same, it's the same album of Why Don't You Get a Job which was, which was actually played early on in the set. Great contrast to the other songs that they did. A nice fun song, you know, fun mainstream songs which helped to keep them in the mainstream with uh, younger audiences at the time and get people onto their music. You know, they made the charts in the UK, in America obviously, Australia, with songs like that. And it just got people uh, hooked into uh, The Offspring. Great song, Pretty Fly for a White Guy, but self-esteem. Self-esteem, loved that song, could relate to it back in the day. Well, I say back in the day, I was, you know, I was 14. So, uh, it was good though. It's a song with meaning. It's one of uh, the most favourite songs that The Offspring ever produced. Great songs to end the night on. And you couldn't ask for more. I mean, you really couldn't. One thing I'm going to say before the before I end this podcast is the VT was good because they actually vision mixed in live camera feed over a load of cartoon style images from uh, album covers to uh, to visuals that would represent the songs as well and even some fun images all mixed in all looking cartoon like and it was great it was great now you couldn't ask for a better vision mixer or VJ shall we say in the technical terms video jockey great great guy uh, it was a great AV team that two cameramen getting great positions and we're not talking about videoing just the uh, musicians we're videoing the fretboards the drummers uh, the drum hands and whatnot just because people want to see how they're playing the chords how they play how they're drumming all the intricate parts of the show was filmed as well as uh, close up to Holland's face images from afar as well so it was very well mixed it's such a great show to watch and it was definitely worth the wait you know I've, I was booked on to work on this show since before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and I had to wait a long goddamn time for it which is a pain in the ass but you know 18 month delay on it and it was a great show thank you for listening to this podcast i hope you enjoyed listening to us and before i go we've got lots of different content from master x media so why not check it out we've got the x review which is where i where i go and review music videos which is slightly which is on par with this podcast but it's more aimed at an adult audience where i'm sometimes giving a full-blown roasting and yes there is a bit of naughty language on there definitely not for kids whereas this uh, podcast is aimed at the whole family it's family friendly and on top of that we've got our story podcast from Oster X Media so we've got Gumshoe which is aimed towards adults uh, about a real nasty piece of work who happens to be a gumshoe a misogynist a real sleazy and grotty private detective he would stop at nothing to get the job and solve his cases in some colourful and interesting ways I shall say then you've got 30 years since which is which is a post alien invasion earth 30 years after the invasion where we completely had our asses handed to us and this is their story about how to how they went about trying to gain, regain their freedom from the invading Anunnaki Empire. And then we've got a tribute to men that hate their jobs. Well, we've got the narrator who 
is forced out of his job by the government because of the pandemic closing down his industry and then he was forced into doing a real horrible pandemic job just to keep everything ticking over and it goes into his journey on how he survived during the pandemic well thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time bye for now